0: We're live. <laughs> Why do <are> we have <laughs> so quick? surprised? Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> so, How does this work? Oh
0: my magic. There we are. Hello. We are back. Doug Heidi McGurk with another episode of Addiction and Codependency Breakthrough Live Edition. And today, I keep banging. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm banging, banging stuff. It's because this is so tiny. We're like the fat guy in a little coat on SNL and an That's SNL not skit. True. That's what I feel like. I should have probably fix my lips before I came in to, I just get a, right, give it a little. <laughs> this is great for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know I have props too. Uh, so for, if, if you're listening to the podcast, you might want to head over to YouTube and watch this video so that we can really drive the points on. But today we are going to talk about one of the things that happens most often with people who are in relationships with addicts or alcoholics and that is the phenomenon of trying to fix or control the situ- the situation okay
1: mm. so now why do you think that is why do i think what is how do you think the people try and control that is that
0: like a rhetorical question yes okay what why you tell me
1: well if- because people are scared, they're freaking out, they don't know what to do. So they try to get their certainty back by controlling it or trying to make it better. So it all goes away, sweep it under the rug.
0: Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. So we want to, our controlling, and another way to say that is our controlling and our fixing is actually a hidden addiction, a coping mechanism called codependency to another's problem. But that's, little deep. So today we're just going to say, yeah, you're trying to control and you're trying to fix. And I'm going to share some stories about how I can relate to that because look, yes, you have the best interest at heart. You want to resolve this. At the end of the day, what do you really want? You want your loved one to be well. You want your family to be healthy. You want to be happy. You want everybody to be happy. And you think and believe the only way that's going to be possible is if you are in control. Or if you fix it, so yeah. we're gonna unravel that today. Talk a little bit about it, and I have props. So the first thing, the first, I'm gonna get dressed for the first role of the controller. So <laughs> what I'm gonna do is just go ahead and change my clothes right here. I'm putting on
1: all spontaneous. Yeah, here, yeah, just, you don't know what <laughs> I'm doing. What's going on. So I,
0: <laughs> oh god, can I dress myself? This is the shirt I'm gonna put on, which is my shit shows supervisor shirt okay and then as the controller i'm also going to put on my fafo hat and for anybody who knows what fafo means it means frick around and find out okay so when you're a controller immediately you're like I've got to oversee all this and make sure this is going to be okay. Because if I do I'm not in control of this. Bad things are going to happen. Because
1: you have all the answers. You I have know, all the answers. You know I know what what's going to happen. To do it, how I can to predict. Nope. I know
0: what's going to come in next. I know that. what First we need ball. to do. Nope. Yes, exactly. And so, what kind of as as we're talking about this, I want we want you to be thinking about what types of things have you done in in order to control this kind of the uh, the addict or alcoholic and. You know, I just got off a call not too long ago and one of the comments was, well, you know, we went to a therapy session, which we already know now if they're actively alcoholic, save your money. Okay. Therapy is not a thing when somebody's actively alcoholic. It's like trying to get dry under a waterfall. It doesn't work. But basically they agreed in a therapy session that this alcoholic was only going to drink one bottle of wine on certain nights of the week. And the therapist actually thought that that was going to be a good negotiation. So one of the ways we try to control addiction is by negotiating how the drinking is going to go. Well, Bob, you can drink, but you can only drink on Sundays and you can only drink one bottle of wine. And an alcoholic's like, I could still drink, Yep, sign me up. Sounds great. I don't care. He didn't hear anything else other than you can drink. It's okay, go for it. It's okay. Now, how often have you made a plan like that where you've said, now you're Susie, you can only have drinks on the weekends? And how often have they actually followed through? with a plan like this. And what do you do when it happens when you when you when your 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 negotiation skills fail and you're still a hostage in somebody else's internal war with themselves, okay? And it doesn't work. What do you do? You go, "Ah, you don't have the willpower. Look at you. Why didn't you stick to the plan? Why didn't you come up with I had a great plan laid out for you."
1: So then the controller is going to come up with more things to do in the plan, go, "Ah, oh, I see where the the gap is. I'm going to add more controlling behaviors.
0: Yeah, we doubled down on the control. And the thing is, is that it didn't not it, it didn't not work because your plan needed more tweaking or, or they were an asshole and they just didn't stick to the plan that you had laid out. The plan doesn't work because telling an alcoholic to only drink one bottle of wine is like telling a dog to only bark on Tuesdays. It just doesn't work, okay? So the, the, the feeling like you have some kind of say in it is so so I can already hear you now. You're saying, well, what is that supposed to mean? Then I I can't tell them how much they can drink or limit it. You can decide for yourself and know that as the spouse of an alcoholic or an addict, any alcohol at all is too much alcohol for an alcoholic or a substance use disordered person. So thinking that you're gonna control this by they're doing better today, they had a little less, they're only gonna drink on the weekends, is turning some, is hoping the best you can hope for is turning an everyday alcoholic into a periodic or episodic alcoholic. And then you're like, well, I can live with that if they drink less. I mean, it's still killing them at the end of the day, right? Mm. It's kind of nonsense when you think about it. So I wanted to tell a story about how this develops and you know, how we get the sense that we can control things because this we wouldn't because
1: it seems like it works for a moment. Yeah, I mean,
0: we wouldn't do it if it didn't work. Right. Or
1: part of it didn't work, which gives you the hope to go. Oh, OK, well, that kind of worked. So yeah. now if I. All right. So it's I'm I'm kind of there. Let's see what else we could add to the control factor.
0: Yeah. Well, and usually this behavior, this pattern gets laid very early in life, not just with, if you're a controlling person, it's not something that
1: just crops up yeah.
0: over the addiction. It's already part of your nature or nurture rather of how you kind of out survival skill, nature. right? So I know for me, uh, the controller, my dad was an alcoholic since the day I was born and he never drove. Well, now we lived in the backwoods of West Virginia, like on the border of West Virginia and Pennsylvania. And everything to a five year old when you're driving around on those country roads, country roads take me home to Good the place. Aren't you the singer? Um, uh, so <laughs> everything feels like a West cliff. Virginia. Yes, exactly everything feels like a cliff because there's no guardrails and you're driving on these mountainous roads and it's, it's like coal mining country. So there's mm. big chunks of coal all over the road and it's snowy and icy in the winter. And it's, it's just a dangerous place to drive anyway. Sober. sober, but my dad never went anywhere without a Miller light between his legs. And the story would go, he'd, he'd pull through the brass rail, which was the bar where you could do a drive through six pack. Hmm. Isn't that crazy?
1: I like mean, all those years ago. Yeah, the, the Dairy up.
0: Queen for Alcoholics. All right. And basically he would go in to brass rail, go through the drive-thru, they'd give him his six pack in a brown paper bag, and it'd be kind of wet, you know, and he'd put it whoever was up front, it would he would put the six pack down by their feet and it would like be like wet and cold, and you know, by their the no, just so he could reach it. Oh. Okay. So <laughs> basically he and the story would go that my dad would drink that whole six pack on a drive and then go get another six pack on the way back or whatever. So, Hmm. you know, it would go like this. He'd, he'd open up the beer can and you know, the beer, the beer, and then he would take his eyes off the road and proceed to hike up his knees and steer with his knees. Okay. So he was steering a car with his knees I don't know why he couldn't keep one hand on the wheel. You know, I I don't know what the hell was going on, but he he would basically like steer with his knees and take the beer and take his eyes off the road and down the beer. And, you know, when you're watching somebody shotgun a beer, when you're a kid, it feels like a million hours. You know, even the quickest, most (laughs) party hound freaks in the world. Oh, wait, shotgun.
1: Isn't that I mean? He wasn't like, I mean, he, no, like, like doing a, a funnel I, while I he's sh- driving.
0: <laughs> he might as well have been. But he just chugged Okay. It. He chugged the beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he chugged it. And it's not funny. All right. Now it's funny. Well, we We're talking are going to laugh at it now. But as a five-year-old, you think you're going to die. You know, you're in the car and you know something's not right. Dad's taking his eyes off the road. He's steering with his knees. We're going down these country roads that feel like cliffs. There's oncoming cars. And I developed a panic habit. Okay. But I also invented a solution because a shit show supervisor needs to take control when bad things are happening. And this is how this pattern originates. It's like you look around and everybody else is nuts. Everybody else is crazy. So and so we're in the car. So and so singing. The other two are fighting each other. This one's drunk. Somebody's got to step up, right? Somebody's got to take control of the situation. And as a five year old, I was like, that's got to be me.
1: You in the back seat or the front seat?
0: I started out in the front seat. And I started out in the front seat because I felt like I was, you know, just wanted to be in the front seat. But once I saw that I had no control from the front seat because the beer was there, I couldn't stop it from going. I'd try to hide it, move it over. But then, you know, if you don't, you'd have to help my dad get the beer if you were in the front seat. Uh, My dad was like, hand me a beer if you were driving with my dad drunk. He'd say, hand me the beer, you'd hand him the beer, or he'd reach for it down by your legs, which was equally as uncomfortable. So you you didn't want him down there like digging around by your legs. You'd just be like, here, take the beer. So I decided the best thing to do to control the situation to supervise the shit show was to position myself in the backseat of the car. And I'd put myself right behind my dad so I could peer out behind his left ear and see the road. And I invented a little game. I had an imaginary steering wheel. And you might even see kids do this today. I know our no, daughter Maggie pretended pretended to drive. Who's Maggie?
1: Simpsons. Remember the Simpsons? Oh, okay. I'm like, <laughs> do we have another, do you have another <laughs> child? I don't know.
0: <laughs> so we, I would put my hands on the wheel and pretend to be driving from the back seat. I have my little imaginary brake and steering wheel, and I can't tell you how many times I thought, in my five-year-old mind, that I was saving us from impending doom, or death on the road because I would turn the wheel or brake when there was a deer or slow down. And and you see me still doing this to this day. Do you not? Do I not <laughs> do this when I'm driving with you? Okay. Yes. Some of you might be like, I I do this too. I already drive. Well. For me, it came out of a need to try to control what was happening in the mayhem. And as I was growing up, it didn't stop there. You know, my dad had a habit of just leaving beer cans everywhere, right? I mean, they were just all over the house and he was a functioning alcoholic. What that meant was he saved his drinking for nighttime. He saved his drinking for his family (laughs) And, and didn't do it when he was around other people, right? So anyway, there would be a bunch of beer cans and at the end of the night, uh, when he would go up to bed, I would go around the house and I would collect all the beer cans and line them up at the bottom of the stairs, like a beer house, a house of beer cans, a tower. Okay. Now, what was I, what do you think I was thinking?
1: I bet you thought that if he saw just how much he was drinking, he would see this big pile of beer cans. He would have a come to Jesus moment and be like, good Lord, is that what I'm doing?
0: <laughs> exactly. I imagined in my little brain, my 10-year-old, 15-year-old brain, that if my dad just knew and could see what he was doing, because clearly when he was drinking all that much, he didn't realize. And you might do this now. You might do it in the form of maybe you're not lining up beer cans, but maybe you show your spouse videos the next day. Maybe you video your spouse, Falling asleep or nodding out or being rude, and you try to show them the next day, and you just think, you know, if they just see this, surely that's going to be enough to make them stop. And that's a way we try to control. But the reality is that chip that uses empathy and understanding to control and stop an addict from continually hurting themselves and the family is missing and it's not rectified until they get into recovery. All right. So what is he gonna do? He's gonna walk down and see the beer cans and get freaking annoyed. Okay, that he has a walk through him and he's gonna kick him and then I'm gonna go, oh, he really doesn't care. Another thing I would do is my dad used to hide a vodka behind the toilet seat, you know? And who's gonna go back there? Please. Certainly not me. Well, I mean, he would think, not me, but I left no stone unturned. He also hid it in the kitty litter. Eee. Well, not the used kitty litter. No. <laughs> <laughs> that would be gross. Okay. Nobody really. Well, you're scooping. You're gonna find the liquor bottle, okay? So he wasn't that dumb. Right, yeah. So he's gonna hide it in there.
1: Oh, that's why. It's because it might be found. Exactly. In the, not exactly. Because that would not be gross. because
0: not because an alcoholic's afraid to dig in shit to get a drink. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, trust me. All right. So I would go and I would find his bottle of liquor and I would dump it out and put it back in the very same spot that I found it. And my thought process was
1: he would think, oh my gosh, I drank that? I got a problem.
0: No, I was oh. thinking he would know that he- he.
1: Oh, that he's been busted?
0: He was busted and his daughter did it. And I was like onto him and that way he would feel- sh- So I was trying to shame him into mm. quitting is what I was doing. If you could just see what you're doing, but shame, an alcoholic has no shame. Okay, when they're when they're actively alcoholic, there is no shame in the game, that's missing. So there, and shaming anybody and anything is never useful yeah, or helpful anyway. But how about you? Maybe you maybe you do that. Have you dumped the bottles down the drain? Have you attempted to um, uh, do a little marker? You know, you to take the bottle and you shit and you. I'm taking the pen cap in my mouth if you're watching and you're just like, you know, you're doing your little marks and you're going, okay, it's Tuesday night. This this liquor is here. Mm. Uh, Let's see. Oh, on Wednesday, this liquor was all the way down to here. And they say they drank that much. And you try to figure out how that much alcohol is and you try to, you know, uh, figure out a way to control. And and or another way you might do it is maybe you give them the alcohol they're allowed to have. And maybe you say, ration okay, it. I'm going to ration their, I've, we've had people ration pills, ration alcohol, ration all kinds of things. Hey, if I just give them, you know, cause I don't want them this to be sick. Safe amount. I don't want them to be hurt. I, I've had one wife say one time that she, she her, when her husband was sober, he was really mean and terrible and she liked him a better, a little drunk. So, what she would do, which would be just to get him a little drunk. You know, she'd just give him just enough alcohol so he wasn't an asshole and we'd be okay. But does that work? No, it doesn't work. And it also sends mixed signals because you are saying to your spouse, I don't want you to drink any alcohol. I don't want you to use any alcohol at all. But then you tell them how much they can have. It's very confusing and it's a very uh, gray area. So uh, we're just getting confirmation right now with the comments. That's my situation. Yes, I would draw a line on the bottle too and empty the stash liquor. Exactly. Exactly. Okay and because we we get confused when we say well he's so he's nicer when he's drunk you know he's nicer when he's drunk he's so mean when he's when he's in between and the thing is is that until somebody has long term sobriety they're in and out of coming off a bender going into a bender recovering from a bender and so mood wise of course they're not going to be okay until they have that substance and they won't be okay in recovery for a while either without the substance, they're gonna be moodier and angrier. And so you sometimes get confused about that and don't know how to weather that storm out because you think, man, they were just better when they were a little high. Well,
1: you know, that's, that's, that's obviously real. Obviously, why the recovery plan is so important, so that they're focusing on what they can do to get themselves back to themselves.
0: Yeah, you know, when you're flooding your brain with dopamine with alcohol and drugs, you're getting a in food, uh, whatever addiction it is, gambling, whatever, you're flooding your brain from fifty percent to twelve hundred percent dopamine increase. And then when you take that substance away, you have a depletion. So you feel 10 times worse than before you started ingesting that substance in the first place. So just getting someone to homeostasis without having to ingest something to feel normal is part of recovery. Now, let's think about all the other ways that maybe you've tried to control this. Another way you might've done it is by joining them in their behavior. You think, you know what? If I drink with them, then maybe- I could
1: pace and lead, slow it down, find a way to steer the ship.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does it work? I don't think so. Why not?
1: Well, because, well, a couple of reasons. One, you're given mixed signals. So yes. already they're like, I don't understand. You just, we, we just partied last night. So there's. You there's just drank that. with me.
0: Now yeah. you don't like this. What's your problem? Yeah.
1: Uh, the other thing is, um, unfortunately, then both of your um, thinking is no longer clear. And then now the line starts going further down or it could turn into a big argument because now you're not thinking right. It just it, it ends up being one of those parties that goes and out also, of it,
0: and Yeah. And either it. you drink more than you want to when you start drinking with them and you start turning into somebody you don't want to be. Or you stop drinking with the hopes that I'm going to drink with them and I'm going to show them how to do it so that they know how to be responsible with their drugs, you know, or their alcohol. And then you try to do it and then you cut off at a point. Why? Because you're a normie. You're not an alcoholic. Okay. So you stop and they keep going. And then what happens to you? Damn it. It didn't work. Damn it. Why didn't it work? And then you start to go down the rabbit hole again. It didn't work because they're an alcoholic. They don't have a shutoff valve, you know? And if they're a periodic alcoholic or an episodic alcoholic, it's harder for you because sometimes they do have that valve to shut off, but it's, you never know when it's going to go full tilt boogie. You know, it's like, so unpredictable. So you get confused. I don't know if they're an alcoholic, Heidi, because they go like a month in between these benders or they go weeks at a time. But the truth is, is that substance use disorder is a spectrum and sometimes and all the time is the same road, stops on the same road. Okay. Um, all right. So that's enough about controlling. Let's move into fixing. I need a different attire for fixing. I'm going to strip.
1: Okay. So while you're stripping,
0: dun, this, dun, dun, uh, today's dun, video, dun. today's
1: live, today's podcast was brought to you by the Holiday Survival Toolkit. So go ahead, like, subscribe, share, and go over to HeidiRain.com and get yourself All right. Here's uh, what that input. here's what
0: that means. You, you Doug is not a salesperson. Okay. He, he isn't, he's just a helpful person. And I I I want to sell you this thing because you need it. All right. It is going to change your life. I'm an enroller. What we have created for you is a holiday survival kit. So it's basically everything you need to know about dealing with the addict or alcoholic in your life. It has an entire complete library of courses, Q&A calls with families about how to not get sucked back in, how to exit a relationship, how to mend it, how to get somebody to treatment. I mean, it is life-saving. My husband's a hypnotherapist. There is countless hours of emotional mastery, learning how to reprogram your subconscious mind so that you can stay straight when the world's spinning out around you and master your emotions. There's a four-part boundary course in there. I mean, come on. It's a no-brainer. Go to HeidiRain.com and grab it. It's 70% off right now up until Christmas. Do it now. Now let's change outfits. The fixer is a little different than the controller. The controller just kind of steps. The controller, like, it's it's a fine line between these two. A controller is like more the like desired
1: outcome is the same. The desired
0: outcome is the same. It's just the way we go about it. Okay. And the fixer tends to like where the, the controller is more of like the shit show supervisor. I'm the boss, right? And I'm gonna tell everybody how to, you know, the the fix, the the fixer is more of like comes in with like the heroic type of you know, vibe. Mm. The same person, but the vibe's different. I'm not controlling you, I'm Helping. helping you. Yeah, I'm okay.
1: You some solutions, I'm some not controlling
0: you. Me... I'm helping you for the pizza, the Lord's sake. All right. So finally one day, <clears throat> I think I was in my twenties or late twenties, maybe even early thirties and my dad had gotten really bad with his drinking and, and, he, and he decided that he was going to go into treatment. And I had been living in Los Angeles at this point. I was running a company. I was like, Never mind you. I had my own binge drinking disorder at this time, but all my focus and attention went on to my dad. So uh, I'm not exempt from having this issue myself, and have overcome it for the last 14 years, alcohol free. However, I'm in LA, still thinking I'm going to solve all the world's problems. I'm going to solve my dad's problems. I get the call that he's finally going to go into treatment. Something had hit the fan, and he agreed to go. And I that was the first time. That was the first time he went to treatment, and I said, "Oh my God." I hit the jackpot. I had told myself this story that if my dad goes into treatment, that's going to be it. That's going to fix him. And so a fixer is about fixing. It's about resolving. Controllers are about mitigating problems. Controllers are about keeping it under wraps and, and cleaning it up. A fixer is about eradicating this problem. Okay, yes, And solid. they really believe they can. So what i did i was living in la but i get the call my dad's in westover west virginia okay i immediately drop everything and get on an airplane not my invisible yeah. jet but close enough and i fly home to west virginia and i and i i walk up the hill and I'm looking at the house and it is a ramshackle shickity shack of a house. It, it is, it is t- terrifying, this place. And
1: had you not been there before? No,
0: I always knew it. It was always no. terrifying. Okay. <laughs> uh so I go in there and it, it was worse than it had been. It's like I kicked around like the, the one of the 50 cats that were there, and there was like beer stains on the carpet and nicotine thick, you know, yellow nicotine stains on the wood paneled walls. You could see it. You could feel the grit, you know, uh, there were cigarette burns in the lazy boy couches where my dad would like smoke cigarettes and drink beer and cigarette would go in the couch. I mean, it was, and I would come home from Beverly Hills. I was living in Los, cause I had escaped, you know, I was living mm-hmm. in Los Angeles and I was like, Ooh, I, I was, I put my Louis Vuitton bags down on the crusty carpet. And I was like, Ugh, this place is disgusting. And it just reeked of cigarettes and stale beer. And I, my sister, I had never... Oh, and so she,
1: he wasn't there. He, he wasn't,
0: there. wasn't there. He wanted a treatment. And my big plan was... Yeah, when the house. I am going to fix the house up. Okay? So he was at treatment and I, my sister and I, went bananas. We ripped up carpets. We laid down linoleum. We... um. Washed the nicotine walls, and I'm going to tell you, buckets of stank, buckets of stanky cigarette stank, mm. disgusting. And then painted the paneling. I know instead of like ripping it down, we just were on a budget. That's old we, we had a, we painted the paneling, we landscaped the yard. I was out there with the, you know, it's like there just was like a hoarder house. So it was like flea market fabulous. There was like three legged, you know, stools, chairs. No, because they're supposed <laughs> to have they're three legs. You know, chairs are not <laughs> supposed to have three legs, but they'd be like, they'd be like propped up on a book on one side. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, just shit's you know, falling apart everywhere. There's stacks of crap and baskets everywhere. I mean, it was just like a nightmare. And we got rid of everything. We just cleaned the house, and I just remember thinking after we had done all of that, how. I was so proud of myself that I had come in and saved the day. And I really, truly believe that I I had convinced myself that if I just, you know, my dad was drinking because his environment wasn't right. And he needed a better house, and he needed a cleaner house, and he needed to come home to a new scenario so that he would stay sober. And
1: or just by having that, like, oh, here's a new new beginning, new, new beginnings. There you go. He new said, this, He's not going to want to because he's going to want to make keep this nice.
0: That's right. Keep it nice. Make it nice. Make it nice. Yeah, exactly. So, I thought this is the ticket. I was so proud of myself and. Uh, you know, and then I didn't stop there as most fixers wouldn't. So maybe you can relate. Maybe you've done something like this. You've moved, you've done a geography change where you like, you just need a fresh start. You have soldier house and up, up leveled. you know, you have done all the things to fix all the exterior, uh,
1: new clothes, new outfits, all new, of it. Just new persona. We need a
0: makeover, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? And that's going to cure it. And I didn't stop there, though. I, I looked up every single meeting that was within the area, within, you know, 50 miles of where we lived. And I made a schedule of meetings and I posted it on the refrigerator of where he could go and planned which ones I'd go with them just to support, not because I needed it, you know what I mean, but just because I wanted to be there for him and or at least sit in the car and make sure he went into the meeting and then saw him go in with my own two eyes. I had it all figured out, everything from beginning to end, how he was going to stay sober. And so we were very proud of ourselves at the end of that. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So my dad gets out of treatment after, I think, 30 days. He'd been there, and I thought for sure he was getting fixed. And fix you like that. Right. And so it was the second day. And we always used to worry when my dad would be like, I'm second
1: day home out of
0: treatment. We always used to worry when my dad was down to go wash the car because he'd wash the car, he'd drink a million beers when he was washing the car, he'd go down to the thing. I, you know, God only knows that the sheets in Pennsylvania, West Virginia was right there and it sold all the liquor or the beer or whatever. So I was like, you know, nervous. Anytime he went anywhere and trying to fix everything and control it, I'd be like, I'll drive you, I'll go with you, I'll sit with you. And we we kind of told like vigil with him the first 24 hours he was out of treatment just to try to make sure nothing happened to him. Anyway, he went on his own the next day and I was sitting on the patio with my sister and he pulled up in his car and there's something about a kid of an alcoholic, you know, when they're drinking, you know, when something is off and he stepped out of the car and with the way just he walked, I knew he was drunk. Yeah. I could tell by the way he walked up the hill, if it was like one beers, two beers, a six pack, oh shit, run, you know, like I, I just knew and he was drunk. And I, I'm, I'm sure you have felt that before when you put all your hopes and dreams into somebody going into treatment, you think they're going to be well, you think they're going to get better. And what ends up happening is it it doesn't work. It doesn't fix them. Okay. And so your whole world comes crashing down because all the hope you had was placed into that holy moment that you thought was going to, you waited your whole life for. But the truth is, Treatment doesn't fix anything. It just gives people an opportunity to cool out long enough. They can get their head on straight about doing the work.
1: Well, and learning the tools. Like In recovery. Learning, right. How yeah, to recover. Here's what to do.
0: But I didn't know that at the time. So what do you think I thought? I'm sitting on the porch, what did I think? It was your fault. I failed. I failed. I should have done more. I should have done it differently. If I And if you can relate to this, that feeling of – racking your brain trying to research them you sent him to the wrong treatment center and, you, the and you'll and hear things like that from your loved one they'll you be in the treatment i can't believe you sent me here it's all kids here they don't they don't know what they're doing they don't here. Let me smoke. They're teaching only... me how to be a drug addict. I, they're I'm making me dance
1: every day. I'm
0: not as bad as the other people that are in here. You have no idea. Uh, this is stupid. It's repetitive. I mean, you hear all the things, and as a fixer, you're inclined to get on the phone mm-hmm. and call the treatment center and be like, what are you guys, what kind of an operation are you running over there? But the truth is, or,
1: and the fixer, you, you're the one who brings the cigarettes and the the, the things that they're not supposed to have because you're like, oh, well, let me just make this a little easier for you or and, resolve yeah. it. Yeah. Let me
0: resolve it. Right. Let me just fix it. And yeah, pleaser would do that. And yeah. that's a different type of way that we fall into a trap is we're a yeah. pleaser. If you wonder what kind of codependent trap you're in and you are in one, if you are in a relationship with an action alcoholic, you are codependent newsflash and it's not what you think it is it's not this needy weak i can't have a thought on my own without you codependency means we are codependent on each other to play a role in this relationship and you are the fixer and they are the victim you are the hero and they are the, the re- they need rescued okay or you are you the controller and they are the victim that is a two person play that you're in and that's a codependent dance you do and if you want to know what codependency role you're playing go over to HeidiRain.com and take my attachment personality pattern test, and it'll tell you so that you know. Uh, it's important that you understand what role you're playing because you think you're being helpful. But the truth is you're running a game on yourself, and you're 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 exhausting yourself in the process, and you're engaging in behavior that's ineffective. And you know that. You know it doesn't work.
1: And you keep going back for more sometimes.
0: But there is a way. There's a better way. You don't have control and you can't fix this, but you can influence the outcome. And the steps to doing that, the very first step is getting absolute clarity about exactly what it is that you want to do. What do you want? What type of relationship do you want? What type of family life do you want to have? What do you want? And if you can, we can work together. You tell me what you want, I will give you the steps to get it. I will walk you through the process to get it, but you have to know what that is. And sometimes you need help figuring that out. We also have clarity sessions that you can book a 90 minute session where you get clear about what's the nature of this thing. Can this work? Will it not? And I just want to encourage you if that's for you, grab it. Don't wait because we have. A lot of people wanting those sessions, and we get booked up very fast, as you can imagine. So how about you? How have you tried to control? How have you tried to fix? And, and let's let's ask, I also put this, what, maybe you're a sage person. Maybe you go around say, and you, the you like people, the sage every yeah. morning, you know, and you clear the energy and you...
1: Well, or are you thinking, you know, okay, we have the holidays coming up. We have an event coming up. Like, are you already like planning How you're going to control what you're going to do, and you're all like, it's not even happening yet, and you're already like creating the environment in your head. You are stressing
0: yourself out right now about what kind of alcohol we're going to have at Thanksgiving or at Christmas. uh, Who's going to sit next to who? uh, What's the game plan? And and you do need a game plan. You need a game plan, but it's not to mitigate the fallout or the disaster that's impending. It's to negotiate and understand with yourself what disaster you're willing to live in and function in from this point forward. It's really making a decision about what kind of life you want for yourself and what kind of life you want for your family and if this is your person. So sometimes you don't know if this is your person. you got to figure that out and I can help you. Well, I'll help you figure out if this is your person or not. It's hard to tell sometimes without the addiction, can this thing work? But if you decide it is your person or it's not, there is a plan to move forward, to be able to be happy. And and I'm going to tell you, the hundreds of people we've helped, they're all in a very happy place in their life. And it doesn't always mean that somebody got well. It doesn't always mean they went to church. Sometimes it does. Sometimes the families stay intact, and sometimes it means things have to move on, okay? So I definitely want to continue to help you uh, on this path. I, I, I want to support you in any way I can, and these are the different ways I can do it. Through these lives, we can support you. Through a one-on-one strategy session, through our courses and programs, we can support you. And we created that holiday bundle for you to make a big savings for you to get everything that you need. So go over to HeidiRain.com and grab it. Mary said, I'm separated from my alcoholic husband. I'm still trying to fix him and still coming up with different solutions for his problems. I really don't think he is capable of getting it together. May, you know that's what we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves they're not capable, so I have to do it for them. That's the lie that keeps you in the trap. They don't know how to do it for themselves, but you're not the one to tell them. What they need to do is to develop a sober network of people around them, a support system of treatment, of therapists, of coaches, of sponsors, a treatment team of professionals, And they develop a community around them of recovery. You are not the recovery community. You should not be the recovery recovery community. You're the wife.
1: And something to remember. Or soon to be
0: the next wife.
1: Yeah, is... I don't know if you've had children or friends or something who you've offered sage advice and it never lands, never lands, take addiction out of it. It's just life, right? You're so close. You're a parent, you're whatever, and you're sharing the sage advice and all of your experience and you really see the writing on the wall. You can see it from a different perspective and you're giving this amazing advice. They don't take it. They don't take it. They don't take it. And then one day someone else says the exact same thing you said and then they take it and they go, oh, wow, that makes so much sense. And they start applying it and you're like, what? But but, but, I've been saying this for years and and the challenge is, is that when we're so close, when we're in that relationship with the wrong person to share that, they're not, it's going to, it's not going to resonate the same way than it would when they're in the environment, when they're in the treatment uh, program, when they're with their. Yeah. And that's really frustrating
0: too. I think Ellie's already starting to do that. Our daughter, she's nine. She's like, oh, so-and-so said, I'm like, girl, I said that to you. I said that to you many times. Yeah. But yeah, so it's hard because we want them to hear it and we want them to come from us. Because at the end of the day, when you're trapped in a codependent pattern, there is a double payoff. You know, we think we're doing it because we, of course, we we envision bad things are going to happen if we don't control this. We we imagine the worst case scenario if we don't fix it. But there's a secondary gain here, and that is your needs are getting met for love and for power through fixing and controlling. And when you resolve those things within yourself, okay, that are the, that, that it's a lie that you need to be in control and you need to fix in order to have love or power, you need to do those things. When you resolve that within yourself, the desire to do all those things goes away.
1: And then you'll find other ways peace. to get that met. and then Peace. It's a so peace like more. you've
0: never known, a, a clarity like you've never known, and you let people be who they are instead of who you are trying to get them to be for you. Okay, And you be who you need to be for you. Well, we love you so much. We hope this is helpful. Tomorrow we'll be back, I think, at 2 o'clock. Yep. And we're going to talk about keeping secrets and how we minimize or keep secrets. And, and we don't want to tell anybody else what's going on in this dynamic. And we, we don't know how much to say or how much not to say and and how secrets can really be the most dangerous thing inside of an addicted relationship and how to break free from that. So we love you. Go over to HeidiRain.com, get yourself, get your girl, get you the holiday kit. Okay, yeah. get it, get it. All right, That's and right. we love you. Love
1: you for who you are and who you are. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless.